May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Have you ever felt like you needed to take a walk just to clear your head a little bit? The days after the crucifixion must have been incredibly difficult for Jesus' first followers. They had such high expectations for him. They thought that their teacher and Lord was going to claim power for himself, to cleanse the temple and the whole nation of every impurity and restore Israel to greatness. And in light of those expectations, Jesus' trial and death must have been a bitter disappointment and one that was not so easy to shake off. So in our reading from Luke this morning, we're told that it must not have taken long for some of the disciples to lose heart and decide it was time for a long walk. So it's important to remember this story is set on Easter Sunday afternoon and Cleopas and the other disciple leaving town or walking down the road to Emmaus outside Jerusalem, talking together about everything that has happened in the last few days. They are leaving because they think that Jesus is finished, and they're consequently finished with him. They've misunderstood his message and his cross, and with nothing more to see, they're ready to get back to life as they have known it. And actually, they've heard that the tomb is empty, but they're so discouraged that they decide to leave anyway. Now, Luke tells us, of course, that the risen Jesus is also out walking on the road. It is one of my personal fascinations that I hope to have answered in eternity. I want to know where Jesus was walking. I want to know whether or not he was planning to sneak up on these two disciples. And he asks what they're talking about as they walk, as if he does not know, which I think is also a fascinating question. So Jesus then opens the scriptures for them, and he tells them what can be found there predicting his own suffering. He doesn't scold them like you and I might expect him to, but he quietly leads them into the deepest truth. And when they stop for the night, Though he intends to keep going, where is he going? They urge him to come in and to share a meal with them. And it's there at the table that their eyes are opened and they recognize their Lord just in time for him to disappear again. Recognizing Jesus is a crucial aspect of the journey of discipleship. It keeps us from losing heart. If we cannot recognize Jesus and bear witness to his work in the world, we may forget what he is doing. And as his disciples, we are called to join in what he is doing and to support the work of building the kingdom. So these two disciples on the road to Emmaus who want to be with Jesus and share in his ministry are disappointed because they think that opportunity has been taken from them. You and I, of course, are disciples of a different kind in a different era, how can we recognize and join Christ in his work in the world here and now? 
Now, thankfully, God, in his infinite wisdom, is always at work. Long before you and I manage to get out of bed in the morning, God's grace is at work in our lives and in our hearts, even long before we know how to recognize or name it. That grace is what drags us or draws us, depending on your personality, into life with Christ. And the fact is that God's grace is good enough that even when we do not recognize it or desire it, it does not stop working. Grace is not dependent on us, which is a very good thing because we need God's grace before we ever know how badly we need to know Jesus. Now, most of us know this to be true in our own lives experientially. It's unlikely that you just woke up one morning and decided, you know what, today's the day I'm going to be a Christian. Typically, now, if you have a story like that, I would love to hear it. But typically, what happens is that we come to faith over time by a longer process. Each of us is somewhere out along the road with Jesus. Maybe you were fortunate enough to have parents who took you to church and taught you Bible stories when you were young that captured your imagination. Maybe when you were a little bit older, a school friend invited you to her youth group where you felt a divine love and acceptance that you knew you needed in your life. Maybe even at an older stage, you hit rock bottom, whether through choices of your own or of others. And someone else modeled the power of following Christ in a way that transformed you. The grace of God is at work in all of those moments, big and small. And they were not accidents or coincidences of history. Those moments where you saw the healing and forgiveness and restoration available through faith, faith in Jesus Christ came to you by what we call God's prevenient grace. Now, I know no, nobody wants to learn any new words, but prevenient is actually a really good one. It comes from a Latin root word that means to proceed. Prevenient grace, then, is just the grace that comes before you're ready to know and follow Jesus. The great Anglican priest, and also parenthetically the founder of the Methodist movement, if that's important to you, John Wesley, who died an Anglican, tell all your friends, famously described, this is more important if you went to a United Methodist seminary, but that might apply to only one of us. Uh, so John Wesley, uh, who, who you hear an awful lot about at Duke, uh, John Wesley famously described prevenient grace as being to the Christian life as a front porch is to a house. It's the place where you gather and get ready to come inside. Prevenient grace opens our hearts and minds to hear and receive the gospel of Jesus and then prepares us to respond in faith. It's the time when we get ready to enter the house. And it's often preparing us before we actually know what we need to be prepared for. This may have happened to you. When I was younger, it was very common for my father to come to wherever I was and tell me to get ready, we're about to leave. And he would never explain what was about to happen, but I just needed to get ready. Children maybe have this experience more than any of us. They're just told, get ready, we're leaving. What are we doing? It doesn't matter, get ready. That is a kind of prevenient grace, although it didn't seem like that at the time. Uh, 
Grace that convinces us that we need to know the forgiveness of Jesus and prepares us to acknowledge his will and holiness. Now, the good news is that God's grace is, of course, available to everyone and not just to a select few. And, of course, many of us manage to resist that grace, to never continue our spiritual journeys from the porch into the house. But this is something that we cannot do under our own power. All grace is a gift from God. Now, if you think that grace is difficult, if that time before sounds like a time that has been lost, that means you're left trying to construct a ladder for yourself. How do I get to God without God extending his grace to me? Well, I'm going to have to find some way to earn God's favor. And we need grace because actually we can't earn God's favor. We're not able to create in ourselves the hearts that we desire. We're not able to be the disciples we wish to be on our own. When we recognize God's grace, we're able to acknowledge that God was acting in our lives long before we had a vocabulary for it. The Bible says it like this in Romans chapter 5. God shows his love to us because while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And all of us need Jesus to walk with us and to reveal himself to us. Just as he walked with those disciples despite what they did not know. Now, this feels like an especially timely reminder with Vacation Bible School happening here at St. Charles this weekend, because ministry with children is an exercise in trying to show God's grace to our youngest members, and it can be challenging. And of course, in many ways, we have to leave the results in God's hands. Now, we welcome children into the church not because they're the future, but because they are the present. They are fully members of the body of Christ. And that means you'll see some decorations, and we sang some different songs, and we had snacks that they enjoy to make them feel at home, which sounds an awful lot like what we do for adults the other 51 weeks of the year. And it is our hope that through these tiny little offerings of God's grace that children will come to know and love Jesus. But more than that, we hope that God will act on their behalf, that his prevenient grace will work in their lives before they even know it, and that they will experience the church as a place where they are loved and cared and told the truth about themselves and the world. And as a church, we have to keep doing that kind of ministry with children Not because it's a growth strategy, but because it's an imperative of following the missional gospel. When Christ welcomes children to himself, he doesn't say that someday, despite their wandering far from faith, they will remember these positive memories and associate them with his presence and then eventually come on back home. That might be a consequence of this kind of ministry, but it's not the goal. Because when we welcome children, we actually are just welcoming Jesus himself. The church has a responsibility to do this for all kinds of people. We have been sent to proclaim the gospel of grace and help others to recognize Christ at work all around us. To name the ways that we see Jesus 
in the lives of those we encounter and to help them understand his love for them. It is actually much simpler than we might think to do this. As simple sometimes as helping children feel welcome or sitting at the bedside of a sick friend or introducing yourself to someone in your pew whose name you have forgotten or perhaps just never quite got. These are all ways that we can share the love of God which has been so lavishly bestowed on us. We have been sent, as we've been learning this summer, on a mission to reach out and our friends and our neighbors and our loved ones and complete and total strangers are all candidates to receive God's grace because God is already at work in their lives, in their hearts and minds, long before they come to faith, long before they're ready to hear about it from you and I. And that means that we have an opportunity to tell those folks the good news and invite them to come and see what Christ is doing in each of us. God's grace is already present even in non-believers through the support of friends, through the modeling of faith by a parent, or by some other means that you and I may not ever be able to imagine. Now, of course, the life of discipleship is sometimes confusing, even disappointing. Think of those two disciples out on the road and what they thought was the end of their story with Jesus. But by grace, Christ is with us, even in those moments when we feel like we are on separate paths or we are utterly lost. Jesus is present with us even when we make mistakes or give up hope, and he is not far away. He's not hiding. He is powerfully and personally present. And when we are called by him, when we're convicted of our sin, when we long to live a deeper life in Christ, it is by grace that he leads us forward. Jesus even does this for us as we try to think about how we can live with him on mission, even when we have no idea what that might mean, and maybe no real desire to do it, Christ is drawing us forward. He's bringing us to a place where we can love and serve our neighbors as he has loved and served us. And we have the grace and the strength that we need because we can just lean on Jesus. When our spirits are fading and our energy feels used up, when you are tired of dealing with children, which again does not happen here, but has happened other places, I'm sure. Or when we reach a stage of life when it feels like we have given all that we have to give, the good news is that we all have something to offer because all we have to give is Jesus anyway. Not our will, but his Not our energy, but his. Not our desires, but his. We offer Christ, and we expect that he will do for others what he has done for us, to be with us, and to be for us, and to work through us. And we must be utterly dependent on him and his grace in order to be the disciples that he calls us to be. This kind of dependence, of course, feels unnatural and can be a little bit uncomfortable, but it's necessary because if we rely only on our own strength or resources, we will always come up short. But in his mercy, Jesus has promised to fill in the blanks for us and we press on. 
Because we are beneficiaries of God's mission to reach out to us when we were yet sinners. Far from holiness, far from being any use to God at all. And God in his wisdom didn't decide to wait until we were ready to pile up requirements on us, to make us jump through hoops. But God has invited us into his family long before we were worthy or ready. The mission of the church is that kind of extravagant, reckless mission. It's not always immediately obvious why God calls us to talk to people about coming to know the Lord. It's not always clear that there will be immediate benefits for us. The truth is there might be some drawbacks. You may have to do a skit that you think is ridiculous. But thankfully, Justin will do it for you. Uh, You might have to spend time or money doing things that feel uncomfortable. But that is where God can be present to fill in those gaps. Because his grace is always available for us. Now, I don't know where you sit this morning in terms of your relationship with God's grace. I don't know whether you feel ready or prepared to share it, much less to receive it for yourself. Maybe you feel very far from God and his love, too far to tell anybody else about it. Maybe that sounds like something reserved for better Christians or for holier people or for another stage of life. Now, it's true that many Christians are suspicious about grace because it sounds like it makes things just a little bit too easy. What about justice? What about people getting what they deserve? Or what if God intends to give me what I deserve? If we are walking down the long road of discipleship, Jesus is always with us. And his grace is extended to us even when we cannot receive it. Or imagine why he would choose to be merciful to us or to others and then call us to join him in his mission. But he has and he still is calling. His grace is at work and his mission of divine mercy is in need of more volunteers. There is a spot for you. Christ on the cross has already dealt with our sin and our shame and our fear. And now the benefits of all his work on our behalf are extended to us because God delights to give us what we do not deserve and cannot earn. God's grace delights to surprise us just as Jesus descended on those two discouraged disciples and surprised them. And God delights to share his bountiful mercy with us, just as Jesus shared the table with those same two travelers. His grace is overwhelming and free, and it's already at work in the world around you. And all you have to do is receive it. Thanks be to God. Amen.